Good morning. My name is Erin Phelps, and I'm a member of the Misty Way Community Group. This morning's reading is from Psalm 40, 1 through 3, 11 through 13, and 16 through 17. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor of Christ Central Church. And um, we continue on a broken prayer journey um, through the scriptures. And something that, in something that was a central theme um, during my sabbatical, redeveloping, rebuilding, and relearning a devotional and prayer life. Spending time with the Lord is what I'm talking about, right? Spending time with the Lord while spending time with others, seeking him and hearing from him in quiet and committed ways. And needless to say, it was and has not been easy for me, as with most people. Last week, we saw from the Isaiah passage we looked at that, that when we come in contact and relationship with a sovereign, holy, holy, holy God, as the text said, that we can feel stuck in the weight and strain of shame, fear, and guilt. This week, we will journey into that a little bit more. You know, the Psalms, if you didn't know, are always a good place to look for guidance, for prayer, and intimate relationship with God stuff. I mean, you can just open it, put your finger down, and you're going to find something there in that area, right? And there are three things that my and our prayer lives have in common with what we see here in this Psalm 40. That first, our prayer devotional journey is muddy, often muddy to us. But, secondly, it is a clear path to the Lord. Muddy to us, clear path to him. Now, let me be completely upfront with you as we do topical sermons, um, and I just want to because it's just my training, it's just something that bugs me, I am exegetically backing into these passages, looking for a proper space for some of what I, and I know many of you have experienced in your prayer lives, especially for me this past sabbatical season. It is something I usually stay away from. 
because I don't want the teacher lead you into bad habits of trying to find the scripture that fits your experience instead of vice versa. But I realized that, guess what? I've been doing this a while now. So let me just say, as my homiletics professor told me, you young theologians and Bible students and seminarians, stay away from doing this for a while, right? So I'm asking you just to trust me as we, you know, kind of cherry pick certain scriptures. Um, uh, Enough, trust me that I've done enough study to not read too much into the text from my experience. And so as we go through, I won't exhaust everything in the text. You're going to see things like, why do you talk about that? Look at that. And wow, right? That's good. But I'm not going to be able to pull everything out um, right now. And, um, but we will later possibly pull out a lot of it later. Uh, but I am focusing on the lines of the song for the purpose and purposes of our Broken Prayer Journey sermon series. With that said, many think that this psalm that was written thousands of years ago, when either, uh, that, uh, when either future or present King David, that it was written when he was on one of his... I'm running away from danger times, right? There were a couple times where he was king, something happened, he ran into the wilderness. There was a time before he was king, somebody wanted to kill him, he ran into the wilderness. And so we see him living out in the wilderness and not in the royal palace and not up in the Holy Land, out there in the wild, wild east. Right? He was having church in the wild, right? And like him, you and I out here just in a normal week, Work week and just normally living in the regular and irregular churn of family and errands or even in the dedicated time of a sabbatical. Oh, everything's there, going hiking, free time, right? You will discover that this journey of meditation and prayer and time seeking the Lord for answers and help or righteousness or justice and mercy, whatever it may be that you're calling God for, is muddy. To us, as it is filled with noisy adversity. The psalm is a caption, if you will, of a time that God delivered David or whoever this was from a real dilemma of circumstance, mind, and soul. But look at where God found him and where he found God. Let's look at that first. Look at verse 2 here. And I'm reading from a New Living Translation. Says here, he lifted me from where? Out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. And then a t- another time after verse 2, when he gets in trouble again, verse 12, if you look at your reading there, it says, For trouble surround me, too many to count. My sin piles up so high. I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Now, upon deeper investigation, the pit of despair literally means the pit of roaring, roaring like lion. Sorry, my mouth can't say certain words. As in the sound of roaring waters coming to drown you. It means noise. The noise of condemnation of, and this is the word they use here, the noise of the host, the hordes, 
the noise of bugs around the dead body, locusts coming to eat all your crops, coming, the sound of killer bees to attack you, hosts are circling around. What is described here could be a multitude of outside situations parallel to that in the life of believers, in a life of anyone trying to pray to God. The noise, right? You ever been quiet before the Lord? It's the noise of spiritual attack maybe or or all kind of thoughts and people and places and circumstances and situations. The sound of loneliness for some of you is incredibly loud and abandonment that circles around your mind and heart. And combined with that, what he more directly describes is the mud and clay and mire. Some people think that this is a clay pot with mud in the bottom that they used to imprison people in, right? Uh, I think, you know, if you look at the natural words that are used here, he fell down into a crevice or a pit and it had mud in the bottom. But it was all designed to, what he's talking about is whether you're being in prison, it is an incapacitation of you. Or the writer, you know, there's no grabbing point, no way to climb out because your feet are held down. And you can't see, as he says in verse 12, you can't see a place to go from there. It's a judgment, right? Feels like because of the the reference to the clay pot that they put people in to die who've done wrong or to punish them for a few days, right? It's a solitary confinement. It's a judgment, a guilt, just or unjust. It's imprisonment. And the writer here says that his life is stuck and surrounded by noise. Not just up to his neck in it, but verse 12 implies it is over his head. He is in way over his head. And this is what I discovered when I started praying. Oh my goodness, this prayer thing, this relationship with God thing, this meditation thing, this Christian walk thing, I am way in over my head. But way over their head and what? Verse 12 tells us. My sin. My sinful thoughts. My words. My sinful history. My lack of trust. My failure to pray in the past, right? I thought when I was going on sabbatical, I'll just jump in. Woohoo! No. My serious rejection of you for years, Lord, that stuff got me unable now to perceive, see, or make you out, to seek hope, to speak, to feel like I'm even being heard. I'm just in this clay and mud feeling like I'm straight talking to myself. In the low country where I'm from, along the creeks and rivers, you have this mud called pluff mud. Some of you may be aware of it or or familiar with it. And it is one step removed from quicksand. And I've walked in it, right? As I was out shrimping or crabbing or fishing or whatever. And, And it doesn't matter how tight your shoes are on. Chances are if you lift your foot up, you're going to lose your shoe. And you're going to lose your footing. Right? And there are numerous stories of people getting stuck and dying in a high tide or, or getting lost in the marshes and the pluff mud, unseen or unable to see above the marsh weeds. It's horrifying to think about it. And then you got to factor in the alligators and gnats that will drive you mad. Welcome 
to the feel of the prayer journey sometimes. One of the most difficult things about being still that I remembered was that I could hear my heart and mind and I became not just more intimate with God, but with my mess. And prayer and quiet time sometimes became a torment of ideas, fighting off the horde of busy thoughts with the waves of the spirit and what I had been going through and sinful thoughts too and daydreaming. And it was bad and hard for me because I spent so much of my life saving my own life and listening to the world and not seeking the Lord that when I got stuck there and asked to go there, hey, go away, meditate, pray, right? All I could hear and feel was the noise of the horde. All I could see and feel was the muddiness of my sin. And like the psalmist, I couldn't see or take courage in what I was doing or believe in God's faithfulness. I couldn't see or hear from God. The noise was louder than he was. It was louder than even the sound of my prayers. You ever start praying and then you end up praying about talking about something else? I mean, I know I live on the manic side of things, y'all. But sometimes I'm praying, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end of the prayer, right? Like not even the end, in the middle of it, I'm like, yeah, you know, I need to go to Ikea to get, um. <laughs> you know, in Charleston and the surrounding low country, we have a superstitious kind of voodoo witchcraft culture mixed in among our people. And one of the beliefs is that of hags and being ridden by hags. Y'all ever heard of that? Okay. It's close to Halloween, so I'm going to give it to you. No. A hag is a supernatural being or person who has the ability to astral project, right? Or it's an evil spirit has, that has come to suffocate you in your sleep, right? Or just to sit on you to oppress you, to burden you. Sometimes there are evil spiritual forces weighing and sitting on you and surrounding you. And I felt that kind of stuff when I retreated to prayer and got still and quiet and intimate with my own soul. My prayer life felt suffocated. Just the inhibition of seeing God spiritually and then the noise of spiritual ruin and destruction and sinful thoughts and guilt were making me unable to see and hear and unable to believe this whole prayer devotion thing was working. Like David said in verse 12, I began to lose courage. And if you're human, and you are, let me go ahead and let you know. This is par for the journey. Oh, when I come to Christianity to be so clear, <laughs> clearly muddy. Everything and anything that could muddy the view of God that could hinder and fasten you and hold you down spiritually, it can and it may and it will. Maybe not hags, but at the very least, your sin and brokenness and all the things you've watched and all the things you've ingested Right? Spiritually and mentally and emotionally. And those thoughts and outside forces can be like gnats in the marsh. You ever been out in the marsh around dusk? Okay. Gosh, just me. Me and Forrest Gump. So I just remembered I'd go crabbing and shrimping. It'd be late at night and maybe the high tide was coming in or going out at the time. And you might, especially when it's going out or coming in, you're getting some good fishing, some good crabs coming in, right? And then, yeah, you know, you're sitting there and you're happy and you're pulling in all this good 
you know, food you're going to eat, right? And you see this ball of gnats. You ever seen the ball of gnats? It's like three billion of them. And they, (laughs) but they're 20 yards that way. They ain't going to get me. But then all of a sudden, we in the middle of the ball of gnats. Ah, going crazy. And there have been times I'm like, let's leave the stuff, grab the crabs, let's go. We'll come back later and get it. Sometimes, that's prayer. The gnats come. And y'all, I've I've told y'all some of this. I spent three months pretty lost and angry, tormented and bored and mad in the mud because I started out hopeful and needy of change and the same, same stuff kept coming up and happening around and in me day after day under the noise of a host of things. I'm waiting for some sort of spiritual boom, right? Some sort of result in my thought life and personal life and finances, being happy and me and Kelly getting along and, and the boys and even, and even tormented in, in some, and, and I was even tormented in some spaces for up to month five of six. Of a six-month sabbatical. I mean, that's six months committed to this thing. But that's not all, unfortunately. <laughs> Look again at verse one. It says here, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. Now, that's good news, right? But again, not the best translation, I'm sorry. The two words, patiently and waited, are the same words. The psalmist is saying, in my journey, I got stuck in my sin and in my struggle and the hardship of praying and was tormented, and I waited and waited and waited and waited some more. This is not the good kind of waiting, y'all. You know, I was reading some commentaries, and most of them say this is patiently waiting, communicates to us that this was a good waiting. Oh, I'm just patiently waiting on God. No, this is the toddler kind of waiting. This is the one that ends up with crying and possibly pouting and not trusting on God kind of waiting. This is impatient waiting, ironically. This is I have no choice, I guess. But to wait because I'm too stuck to do anything about it, waiting, and I can't help myself or I would kind of waiting. Some of us won't go or get into that prayer journey or posture because it takes too long. Let me go ahead and let you know. Oh, gosh, I just wish, sometimes I wish I could just, you know, preach one of them, I don't know, Fast-growing churches sermons, right? Wait and wait and wait and wait is part of the Christian life. I'm not trying to say surprising either, because God's surprising. Because sometimes you're like, whoa, right? You've been waiting? There's maybe a couple more waiting after that. Amen. 
And as often as space of prayer times and quiet devotions not living up to the hype when the most sinister and evil and tormenting noises come, stuff that says, this ain't working. <laughs> You've been praying for this for years. Sometimes I leave the prayer, <laughs> y'all. Oh, Lord, I pray for, you know, me and Kelly getting along. You know, help me not to say blah, 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 right? Blah, 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 right? Lord, I pray for it, right? What's wrong? Wait, there's more waiting. All of that stuff puts a darkness that most of us turn away from to something or someone else because after waiting and then waiting in, prayer feels like it's just sadistic. Why would you put yourself in that position? Talking to the walls or talking to the ceiling. Just to sit in a place where the, the stuff comes to your mind and you, hate, and you feel guilty because you end up talking about the football game after you pray to God or thinking about how many completions your quarterback have or who's starting in your fantasy league or did you put the right... Like, that's just guilt-ridden. Why would you go on a journey that eventually one day may, you may end up in a mud pit? But the writer here encourages us with this, that while our prayer journey is often muddy to us, it is a clear path to the Lord. It is normal, and considering who and how we are, to feel impatient and apathetic and not as engaged in praying and devotional time. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to bore myself. I'm not going to waste my time, right? I'm just, man, if God wants to do something, he'll do it, and we just walk away, right? And then, I don't know if you see it, because you can't see the whole psalm here, because I took parts out, but verse 1 through 3 is the first time the person in the psalm prays to God. And they do get some help and hope. Talk about, I got a new song. Thank you, Lord. And then look at verse 12, right? It says, the, for troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up is so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Why are there two back-to-back prayers of deliverance? He, is he doubling down on how good it felt to be delivered by God? No. Nope. He's in trouble again. You see, when it says that God put his feet on solid ground back in verse 3 or, or, or 2, it means God put him back from where he fell in the first place. You know what back on, you know what that rock means? God put him back on the cliff. <laughs> on a ledge. On the twisty path. Strength, and he strengthened his legs to do what? face another part of the journey to possibly come into another muddy spot in their lives to engage in prayer. Journey of ups and downs again to need to be delivered and have God meet them again. The first place I went on my sabbatical was St. Christopher's Retreat Center on Seabrook Island outside of Charleston because of COVID and all that. I was one of the few people there and I liked it. It was nice and quiet, but it was rough being alone. Couldn't sleep great. Hard not to be busy, my manic self. And then I had a real emotional spiritual high. They have this, um, one of the priests that works there wrote a prayer journey book that takes you on a path around a premises and they call, it's called the cross path and there's crosses in the ground and there's crosses in the old window pane of the old church. And I was like, when I looked at it, I'm like, this corny, I'm not going to do it, right? Because I'm going to do it and nothing's going to happen. I'm going to be mad and I don't know what I'm going to do, right? I did it. Did the little prayers kneeled down, did the whole thing, and God 
touched me. <laughs> Something happened. There was a flood of the Holy Spirit into my heart. There was an experience of God's grace. But then back to the mess, right? (laughs) I've got good news and bad news. Not only for my life, but from the Bible. It is right in front of you, right? There is no end to muddy and cliffhanging in prayer devotional life. The Bible is teaching that if you're on a journey, that it is only terminal when we cross over into the next life outside of the body. That's why it's called a broken prayer journey. Sometimes the pathway will not have stones that you can see or mark paths or warning signs. And of course, you and I won't follow all of them, even if God gave you a clear path. Oh, you know how we always say, if I pray and I hear a voice, oh, it'll change my life. No, it won't. Howard, do this. All right, I heard God. I'm changed. Go right out there the next moment. That wasn't God, Right? So what's the point? Look at these verses again real quick. Verses 1 through 3, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me, verse 1, and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud, the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. And then look back at verse 11. Uh, Lord, uh, do not hold back your tender mercies for me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For trouble surrounded me, too many to count my sins pile up as high, so high I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. The people, the world, even the psalmist themselves could not what? See God's salvation. And the world and the person in the psalm themselves couldn't be trusted to give the unfailing love and grace that could actually bring them out of the dilemma they were in. I mean, even the psalmist is hard on themselves. Even the psalmist is stuck in trying to forgive and liberate themselves and see a way out, but they can't. And we do this to ourselves. We put too much pressure where it shouldn't be on ourselves to take us through this relationship journey with God, and we can't do it, and we can't handle it. The saving grace and good of a muddy prayer life is this. Only God himself can and will reach and reach you there. It is only from there that we come to know him in ways that will carry us forward because only the Lord has the unfilling love and ability and power and presence to meet you there. So being in a muddiness and confusion of thoughts and words and what to say and do and how long and not seeing and failing faith and expectations and that emptiness and loneliness, you are where, guess where? Only the Lord can see you there. When we are in the mud, we are clear to him as clearly needing his love and grace and hand. I'm not saying that it's good or feels good to be lost in your prayer life or communication or quiet time or intimacy or connection with God. It is not good. You are not good. But God is good to be the only voice of hope there. God is not found in the darkness. 
but God finds, seeks, and reaches us in our darkness. I love this word here in verse 1 when it says God turned to him and heard his cry. The word turn actually means that God twisted himself. That God cavorted, like he, he, he supernaturally turned toward and hears his cry. And going back to verse 11, that word here, heard means obey. God obeyed his own love for people caught in the darkness. He hears their voice and turns in obedience, what? To his own goodness, to go and turn to us from a space of light and holiness, and then he enters our confusion and darkness. No one does that. No one twists in their holiness and good beneficial place of space for broken people, but the Lord does. And I'm going I'm to go out on a limb and say, in that devotional muddy place, you are only going to eventually, after possibly waiting and waiting, you're only going to found and be found by a God who has made a way. Who has found a way through and in the darkness to get to you, to hear and reach you and me. And we thought that the crazy, busy, drifting, doubtful, whining, impatient mind was leading us out when the Lord was using it as a way into our lives. He was using it to get into the dark spaces and depths and places of our hearts and into our world. My mom could be described. She's gone on to be with the Lord now. It's been 10 years or so. My mom was what many would describe as a holy roller. She went through stages in her life where she wouldn't watch TV. She would just stay up in her room praying and journaling. I got some of those journals. Incredible. We barely saw her some days. But one day she was up in that quiet room and she could hear a faint voice. Right? And very faint, crawling out. Help me. Help me. Coming from the distance, as she went outside towards the docks at the end of, uh, of our cul-de-sac, and she could hear the voice that much better. Help me! Turns out an older man was walk out walking on a dock and fell off into the pluff mud that we talked about and was there for hours. And the nighttime was not even an hour away. He said that the water rising... That, that with the water rising, that was his last effort after crying all day. He was tired and bitten by mosquitoes. Hear me. From his holy and quiet place, the Lord alone in his holiness can hear us and find us. On the shaky path we walk in the mud and mire of our spiritual lives, our world is awash with noise and selfishness, but he alone has put himself in a position to listen and hear and incline, to twist his ear to hear us, even if we can't hear or see where we are. He, the Lord, alone can reach and understands our dilemma. Look at verse 17 with me, please. As for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh, my God, do not delay. You know what I discovered, y'all, from this psalm? <laughs> Some, God's word had to tell me. <laughs> 
When we are lost in our thoughts and even in our journey, hear the good news, ready? The Lord is never lost in his. And he never loses us or leaves us in his mind. The psalmist says, let me stay in your thoughts, God. Prayer is not primarily an affirmation that we are thinking rightly and constantly about the Lord, even when you're drifting, thinking about what to get from Target in your prayer time. He is always and rightly thinking on you. When the psalm says that the Lord heard his cry in verse 1, it's not just hearing. That word means understanding. It's being clear on the situation of circumstances. God can look into our minds and hearts and out into our world and clearly see hope and love and goodness in it to be worked out in and for you and me. When you can't keep your mind stayed on Jesus and seeing him in prayer, your mind drifting and fighting to stay faithfully focused, here is the hope the psalmist is saying. His thoughts and mine, the divine and loving, merciful God, got his mind straight and sure about you and me, and that is a thing that keeps us able to go on. And prayer says, I have to believe in his mind and not mine. You know what I like about the Psalms? They are communal. The Psalm says, he put a new song in my mouth. And in verse verse three, it says, now you can see what God has done and join me in it because of what God has done. Do you know the one who sang this psalm for all times? It was the Lord Jesus. The reason the Lord understands and sees our prayer struggles is that when Jesus came, when he was crucified for sinners, he was put in the mud to free us. On the cross, he was unable to see the saving face of God so that we would He not only twisted himself answering our cries, but he twisted himself to experience what we do in the depths and darkness of our sin. He stood in our place, and now we do stand in his. And the Bible says that he was in the mud pit of the darkest and most tormenting hell, but rose again on the third day, quickened and saved by the Spirit of God. And now, as verse 3 says, when we see what God has done through Jesus, we can believe and be amazed by his love and cry and wait again and again in his righteous name, where the love of God cannot help but incline his ear and answer us when we are struggling and weighing and praying. That's why when we are stuck and unclear, nagged and hagged, we cry in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Psalmist says this, as for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thought. Lord, you are my helper and my savior. Oh, God, do not delay. Because to the Lord, y'all, we in our prayer journey are as clear as mud to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Christ, Oh, our minds can drift and we can be oppressed by all kind of thinking and thoughts and things that would stop us from seeking you, our impatience. 
But the Lord is patient. The Lord is kind. Oh, we can't keep our mind on you. We leave the prayer circle. But you never leave it. Think on us. Help us remember that your mind is on us. That you see us and you guide us and you hear us. Let that give us courage to continue on. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.